London Calling. London Walks Connecting. London Walks here with your daily London fix. Story time. History time. It was a close-run thing. Today, September 18th, 1954, was the last day of excavations on a site near Walbrook in the city of London. For the uninitiated, Walbrook is London's third most important river, after the Thames, of course, and the Fleet River. It runs between the two hills, Cornhill and Ludhill, London's built round, thus a supremely important position. Initially, it provided the Romans with a source of fresh water, and then, when the city was well-established, it was an ideally positioned sewer, draining those two hills and running as it did right down the middle of London. This podcast is about the discovery that was made there on September 18, 1954, but it's impossible to gainsay the importance of that location, of the river that burbled along there. There's even magic and a flash of historical insight in the name Walbrook. Listen carefully. You can hear the word Wales, not the animals, the country, in that name. The Brook of the Wales people, the Brook of the Welsh. Wales is an Anglo-Saxon word. It means foreign. Thus, the Welsh are the foreigners, the strangers. Bit rich, isn't it? The Anglo-Saxons are the incomers, and they're calling the people who are already here the foreigners. Anyway, the really arresting point of that name is that London, which after all was a Roman city, Roman-founded, Roman-inhabited, London, Londinium, was pretty much abandoned when the Romans upped stakes and left early in the 5th century. But because of that name, Walbrook, we think it may well have been the case that there was at least a small settlement, a small community of local Britons who stayed on, who lived on one of those little hills beside that stream. Then when the Anglo-Saxons turn up later in the 5th century, some of them, likely as not, pitch camp, so to speak, on the other hill on the other side of the stream. They call that natural boundary, that little stream, the Brook of the Welsh, the Brook of the Foreigners, because some of those foreigners, some of those Welsh, are living just over there, on that hill, on the other side of the little stream. And so, thanks to a name, we get a fairly convincing picture of what are likely to be some of the earliest days of post-Roman London. Anyway, that's the starter course for this podcast, for this Today in London History episode. Let's get to the main event. A quick catch-up. A team of archaeologists under the direction of Mr. William Francis Grimes of the London Museum have been given a few days to excavate a bomb-blasted site prior to its immediate demolition by building contractors. Aside here, I hope it delights you as much as it does me that William Francis Grimes was Welsh. Another biographical touch, as a young man he had flaming red hair, and in later life he invariably sported a red carnation in the lapel of his jacket. At the end of his life, he went home. His ashes are scattered on the Gower Peninsula. 
And another great London connection, the St. Bride's Excavation. St. Bride's is the famous wedding cake church on Fleet Street. The excavation in the Crypt of St. Bride's, it's effectively a museum today. That was also the handiwork of our Welshman, William Francis Grimes. Anyway, back to September of 1954, everything being made ready for the imminent demolition that will clear the way for foundations for a new office building. And miracle of miracles, on the very last day of the excavations, this day, September 18th, the archaeologists make a spectacular discovery, a perfectly preserved, noble, carved Mithras head. It's wearing a Phrygian cap, which provides the association with the Mithraic cult, and thus identifies the temple remains in which they found it. The temple is revealed to be an area of about 60 feet by 20 feet. It's divided into a central chamber, two aisles divided by column bases, a triple-apsed east end, and a raised platform which probably carried an altar. What they have discovered, in other words, is an enlarged and elaborate version of the simple Mithraic shrine discovered four years previously at a fort on Hadrian's Wall. So what was Mithraism? It was a secret, mystic cult that originated in Persia. It was heavily, probably exclusively masculine. It was spread widely but thinly throughout the Roman world. Roman soldiers and merchants spread it across the empire, spread thinly because its actual membership was restricted by its secrecy and severe initiation ceremonies. The find in London was extremely important, not least because of the size of the temple. It was unusually large. That in itself attested to Roman London's importance as both a military and mercantile capital. You want an analogy? Well, maybe the Skull and Bones, that secret society of fourth-year students at Yale University on the other side of the pond. Certainly it would have shivered your timbers to be led in there. Just inside the temple, it would have been spookily dark. Those two aisles would have been guarded by very butch torchbearers. You wouldn't have wanted to go face to face with either of them. One of them was Korax, the other was Leo. Korax was the raven, Leo was the lion. So you've got a very butch torchbearer on one side who's top to the north with the scary head of a raven, and an equally butch one guarding the other aisle who's wearing a scary lion's head. Now as for the head that was discovered, it's called the head of Mithras. Mithras was the god the cult worshipped. But since the god is usually portrayed slaying a bull, it's so violent, so butch, Mithraism, the head may in fact be the head of Cautes, or Cautapates, Mithras's two divine attendants. And let's double down here. That's not just any bull that's being killed. That's the astral bull. The import of that moment is not fully understood to this day. What is understood is that that act is as central to Mithraism as the crucifixion is to Christianity. Anyway, a hugely important find, a breathtaking find. Really, the most famous 20th century Roman discovery in London. It got the site a stay of execution for further excavations. 
and then the entire site was moved. How's that for the wonders of 20th century archaeology? It has yielded up some 14,000 finds. Enter, in recent times, a certain former mayor of New York City and fabulously wealthy businessman, Richard Bloomberg. He puts up a business center on the original site and relocates the temple back almost to its original position and does it justice, does a wonderful restoration, turns it into a kind of museum experience. And going there, doing yourself the huge favor of going there, of seeing it, and experiencing it, that is, of course, the Today in London recommendation for this podcast. You've been listening to the Today in London History podcast, emanating from www.walks.com, home of London Walks, London's signature walking tour company, London's local, time-honored, fiercely independent, family-owned, just the right size walking tour company. And as long as we're at it, London's multi-award winning walking tour company. Indeed, London's only award winning walking tour company. And here's the secret. London Walks is essentially run as a guides cooperative. That's the key to everything. It's the reason we're able to attract and keep the best guides in London. You can get schlubbers to do this for 20 pounds a walk, but you cannot get world-class guides, let alone accomplished professionals. It's not rocket science. You get what you pay for. And just as surely, you also get what you don't pay for. Back in 1968, when we got started, we quickly came to a fork in the road. We had to answer a searching question. Do we want to make the most money? Or do we want to be the best walking tour company in the world? You want to make the most money, you go the schlubber's route. You want to be the best walking tour company in the world. You do whatever you have to do to attract and keep the best guides in London. You want them guiding for you, not for somebody else. Bears repeating, the way we're structured, a guides cooperative, is the key to the whole operation. It's the reason for all those awards. It's the reason people who know go with London Walks. It's the reason we've got a big following, a lively, loyal, discerning following. Quality attracts quality. It's the reason we're able, uniquely, to front our walks with accomplished, in many cases, distinguished professionals. Barristers, doctors, geologists, museum curators, archaeologists, historians, criminal defense lawyers, Royal Shakespeare Company actors, a bevy of MVPs, Oscar winners, I call them, people who've won the Guide of the Year Award. Well, you get the idea. As that travel writer famously put it, if this were a golf tournament, every name on the leaderboard would be a London Walks guide. And as we put it, London Walks guides make the new familiar and the familiar new. And on that agreeable note, come then, let us go forward together on some great London walks. See you tomorrow.